Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's Bronwyn Bidwell. Hello, today I am delighted to welcome a woman who has made it her mission to open up the conversation on mental health in the performing arts. Raffaella Cavino has spent the past 10 years working on the West End and internationally as a dance captain and swing. She is also the founder and director of Applause for Thought, which offers accessible mental health training and support to people in the performing arts. Welcome, Raffaella. How are you? Hello, I'm good. Thank you. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me on. So let's start at the beginning. What were the reasons behind you starting Applause for Thought? What's your background and why did you start the organisation? Sure. So I always like to go kind of back to the right to the root, um, which is that I'd kind of graduated drama school in 2013. um, And I had worked really successfully out in the industry as a dance captain in the swing for the first four or five years um and of course I had rejections and setbacks like everyone does um but I was really lucky um and I had no prior history of mental illness and back in 2013 even especially well on my radar mental health wasn't spoken about the way it is now um and I had yeah no prior history of mental illness I was used to dealing with anxiety and stress being a dance captain in the swing um and So it was kind of a real shock to me that at the end of 2017, I suffered a really significant emotional breakdown. Um, And I was convinced for a really long time that there was something physically wrong with me. Constantly going to the doctors, you know, I've developed IBS, I'm getting these rashes, I've got heart palpitations, and it didn't even cross my mind back then that it could be anything to do with my mind. Um, And so this kind of prompted me to take 2018 out of the industry to kind of focus in on my health and my quote unquote recovery. Um, And I was actually diagnosed with two mental health disorders. Um, I was able to access therapy really quickly because I had the finances to be able to do it privately because of my work in the arts. Um, And it was about six to eight months into weekly therapy. Um, when I really hit a turning point with, with my journey and I started looking at my friends, my colleagues, and actually beyond that, the whole industry as a whole with a really fine tooth comb um, and just got this overwhelming passion that I, I had to do something. Um, I, I didn't want anyone else to not necessarily not go through what I went through because mental health issues are a normal part of life, our mental health ebbs and flows, but I wanted there to be more support, more education and more care. Um, And that's how Applause for Thought was born. And so did you know friends who had also had issues but hadn't perhaps spoken up? Because I know sometimes people feel a little bit wary of speaking up in case that impacts their ability to get work and obviously they need to work to pay their bills. I mean, was that something that you would come across? I mean, definitely. Um, I must say that I kind of describe it as, you know, the Sixth Sense film where, you know, where he can see dead people all of a sudden I felt that because I'd experienced mental illness myself my eyes were then open this uh, this veil had been lifted and I started to spot signs and symptoms and pick up on words and uh, body language in conversations with friends and colleagues where I thought no you're you're also suffering Um, and there were very few people who were open at that time 
about going to management or talking to their agents or even talking to their friends about it. So it's most certainly conversations that I had kind of after I started Applause for Thought with friends. I do think that there is still, but definitely was then a fear of being blacklisted, fear of being labelled as trouble um, or as not a hard worker. That's a very common one. Um, You know, the show must go on mentality. So, yeah. So tell us some of the things that Applause for Thought does and the kind of services that it delivers. So um, everything that we do has our mantra and our ethos at the heart, which is education equals prevention. I'm a massive, massive believer that um, knowledge is is power. Um, And if we're empowering people with knowledge and tools surrounding mental health and that safe language surrounding mental health, Um, you're not only kind of empowering them to be able to support themselves and support others, but you're also simultaneously breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. More people that know about it, um, the less that people will will kind of judge judge it. Um, And so our three main arms that that we have at Applause for Thought are our support section, um, which is where we link people to therapists, hypnotherapists, coaches, psychotherapists, Um, I most certainly don't believe that it's one size fits all when it comes to support. Um, And all of those practitioners that we signpost to all offer a discount through Applause for Thought, making sessions, private therapy more accessible and affordable. Um, Because anyone who's been on the NHS waiting list can find it a very discouraging um, and disheartening place to be. Um, And beyond that, all of our practitioners all have experience working with people in the arts. So when I first started therapy, my first session with my first ever therapist I spent the whole hour explaining what a swing was. So all of our practitioners, they get it. They understand um, what tech's like. They understand that it's not as easy as just turning down that job or taking a break, um, et cetera. The second arm of what we do is our education and training. So we offer mental health first aid courses through Mental Health First Aid England, but we offer them at a 40% discount to the RRP. Again, trying to make this training more accessible and affordable. We also deliver talks and workshops. We go into productions, we go into organisations, we go into uh, performing arts schools, we go into universities and deliver a whole host of different talks and workshops on lots of themes surrounding mental health in the arts. And then our last arm is our consultancy. So we work with Last year, we worked with 14 different productions across the West End uh, and number one UK tours, uh, working with their producers on more deep rooted mental health and well-being schemes. How do we create a strategic approach to mental health and well-being that is preventative rather than reactive? So that's really interesting because I'd be interested to know how the producers respond because it's a cutthroat industry, isn't it? And they would say we've got a huge amount of pressure. People are paying for tickets. How do they feel when you come in and say, can we be a bit more thoughtful about mental health? Mm, I think I think it's a real range. I mean, it's important to bear in mind that these are producers that have sought us out. So there's already a willingness to do the work and create the change. And I think that the catalyst to that has been COVID because there has been, not only was there the pandemic, there has also been a huge amount of cultural shift in that time with BLM, with Me Too, with people being more open about mental health and also a real sense in our industry that enough is enough in terms of how we're treated. Um, I think there is a a real big movement from the the ground on on that. So producers know that it's time to do something in relation to mental health. And what we always try to encourage is that, you know, happy company, happy show. 
you know um it's it's an investment in your product which is people um and so i think that even though there can be some resistance when we try to go really deep rooted i don't think that that is because of a lack of want i think it's a lack of awareness sometimes a lack of budget but also you know holding a mirror up to go no this isn't just a quick fix we can't just tick box mental health this actually it requires change and i think change for any organization on that level is a bit sticky and what are some of the biggest industry specific triggers because i know from the outside people think it was a really glamorous industry but it is quite some of the work conditions are quite specific so what are the sort of the main triggers so the main things that 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 i've experienced personally but that we see across across the board is burnout um i think that when you are any sort of freelancer the work kind of never stops you're either when you're either in a job and then as soon as you're out of job you're auditioning and searching and honing your skills for the next job um and so i think that burnout is something that 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 we see a lot because i think people look at people on shows and they think oh they just go in at six o'clock maybe for a warm up and then they go home but actually when you there's rehearsals and there's cover rehearsals and there's photo shoots and there's swings going on especially with covid there's a, you know lots and lots of cast changes there's a there's a huge amount that, of hours that that go into working on a show um the other thing would be obviously the instability that constant feeling that you're replaceable um and that you're you know when your job finishes in 6 months time you're then unemployed again back to square one uh and i think another part is is the sacrifice i think that you know when you work in any entertainment industry you're working when everyone else is relaxing because you're there to entertain them whether that's hospitality or retail or or the arts and i think that it can really be difficult especially when you enter i've found you're you're entering into your 30s and you've got weddings and really important events that that matter and that fill you up as as an individual and as as a human regard you know separate to your art and not being able to go to those and making those sacrifices i think can can take a toll and so where do you think singing teachers can help and where do you think they should be in terms of trying to support performers mm i think that's a really um interesting question i think that um when you're a teacher it for any subject but especially in the arts i think there can be a real focus on just the skill at hand so as a singing teacher my role is to make them better at singing get them to reach that note get them to work on their break you know all all of these things and actually i think that a singing teacher's role so much of the voice is linked to confidence and how we feel and so the more that singing teachers can work on building self esteem and taking a whole person approach to their teaching style um i think that is a really really good way of being able to nurture nurture people and prepare them as a human for the industry not just their instrument and what kind of things should a singing teacher look out for in terms of if if someone is really struggling they may not come in and say i'm i'm experiencing xyz what are some of the signs that you think teachers should look out for. Mm. So that's obviously a really broad question and I think that what makes mental health so complicated is that the fact that it is somewhat invisible and that you know even when you do your mental first aid training you learn about the signs and symptoms to spot um but we often hear very tragic stories where you know 
people to end up taking their own life. Um, and there were no warning signs or perceived warning signs to anyone around them. And I know that I'm talking about a very extreme end of the scale there. Um, so it, it's difficult to answer with any kind of specific things to notice. Um, but my, my general advice would be um, looking at changes in behavior. Um, if you've got, especially if you've been working with, with a client or with a student for maybe six months and all of a sudden you find them very reclusive or very quiet or very withdrawn um, or you notice changes in their voice where they're not able to do what maybe they could six months ago. I think that's a really, really good time to ask the how are you, how are you twice um, kind of uh, plan. Um, so that would be that would definitely be one uh, that I would say. And how, that's what I was going to sort of move on to, how do you think you can get that conversation started? Because I know sometimes people feel wary of trying to overstep the mark and maybe offending someone, but equally someone might not immediately um, open up straight away. So where do you find a balance in terms of just getting the conversation started? Mm, That's a really, really good question. And I know that's one that lots of people have actually um, asked before and, and comes up a lot. So thank you very much for asking that. Um, I think that the the biggest misconception and myth surrounding mental health is that this fear to ask questions in case we offend or in case we get it wrong. And actually asking the question is always better than not asking the question. Um, And that is a really blanket rule, um, but is, is one that I like to live by. I think that what stops us from having these difficult conversations is fear that we're not going to know how to respond. And, and fear that we're not going to be able to help or fix. And actually, we don't need to help or fix the problem. All we need to do is hold the space and hear and actually just listen with no judgment. So um, I always like to go in with a how are you and how are you twice. Um, most people, if you go, how are you? Go, oh, I'm good, thank you. Or, oh, I'm okay. And actually, if you go, how are you? But actually, how are you really? You tend to see this, this slight change. And what that does is it just leaves an offer on the table that actually you're not asking out of politeness. You're not asking because it's a social cue to just automatically ask, how are you? You're actually truly interested in how that person is doing. Um, I would also say that, um, I mean, mental health first aid training is is something that I obviously am a massive advocate for. Um, But it just gives you a real, I would say base knowledge, but everyone that's done the course, including myself, it really just does go really in depth and it gives you very practical ways of holding these conversations. So I always believe that armoring yourself with as much training and education as possible before you go in and ask those questions is the way forward. And speaking of singing teachers, they're obviously freelancers as well and they understand face a lot of the similar problems as performers how can seeing teachers I guess look after their own mental health and keep themselves well obviously physically and but mentally as well mm, that's a brilliant question as well um I think that um my two my two biggest buzzwords um that have helped me massively so I'm going to speak from kind of personal experience and observational experience um is boundaries and self-care and I the the reason why I say boundaries is because if you're a singing teacher, I think that you're a particularly giving person. You know, you care, you're very invested in your students. And I think it can be very, very difficult to create that boundary of losing yourself in their success, wanting them to succeed, wanting them to get better. So I think having those personal boundaries of, um, you know, I've, I've, I've done my job. 
And now I can, you know, switch off. And these are my office hours. And I'm going to have this very set allocated time that is just for me. I think boundaries are really important. Um, and self-care, I love the word self-care. And I could probably talk for a whole hour on it because it's such a buzzword. When we hear it in mainstream media, when we see it, we think baths, we think face masks, we think all of these things. And actually, it's so much more deep rooted than that. You know, self-care is that true non-negotiable time that nourishes you, which may look like having a bath, but actually more so than that, it's creating a work-life balance. It's making sure that your soul is fed. It's putting boundaries in place. It's saying no. It's looking at, you know, toxic relationships. It's, it's all of those things. And so I think that making sure that you're carving out enough time to recharge you is, um, is really, really important for any freelancer. And so how do you feel about the future? Obviously, I think the conversation has changed over the last five years about mental health. Where do you see the industry going and what would you like to see happen in the industry in, say, the next five years? Mm, So I I totally agree. These last five years, there's been a huge amount of conversation and conversation is important and it's vital. Um, However, beyond that, the next step is action. And there are actions taking place. But for any sort of systemic change, it is going to take time. If any organisation or any person within 24 hours of having a conversation goes, I've changed, I've learnt, then I don't believe that that's true deep-rooted change. So I am patient with it. But what I would like to see is a industry-wide strategic approach and systemic change. I think we need to go to the root. I think there needs to be more regulation in drama schools Um, and performing arts schools uh, I think there needs to be um, better working conditions our unions need to continue to fight for better working conditions Um, and I think that will make um, the biggest difference to the root causes of of mental health issues in our industry. When you say more regulations in drama schools what do you want to see change there? I think um, what makes drama schools complicated beasts are that they're very unregulated um, and there isn't a kind of unified board across all performing arts establishments and so they're able to make their own curriculum Um, and I know that some follow obviously a degree course which is then overseen by a a university accreditation but um, you know I'd love to see more mental health care in drama schools and I'd like to see more mental health education on the curriculum. Um, So it's more of an overall approach to nurturing a human going out into the world um, rather than just singing, dancing, acting and maybe a session on tax. And so how, when you look back at when you started Applause for Thought, are you surprised at how it's grown? Because you sort of had this idea and now it's almost got a life of its own and seems to be be growing and growing yes yes you've seen right through to my soul on that on that (laughs) so in full transparency and it always um surprises people when they hear this but I never ever set out to start a company back in 2018 when I was in the middle of my recovery and I got this overwhelming passion to start a platform what I actually put on was just a one-off mental health awareness event And I held it at the other palace in London and they said that I needed to come up with a name for the event. And the name I came up with was Applause for Thought. Um, But considering, and I started this Instagram account for Applause for Thought just to sell these tickets for this awareness event. It was all going to be free. 
And we had about 30 followers and the event sold out in 17 hours. And it was 150 tickets and they were free. Um, but I couldn't believe it. it. I was like, oh, there really is a need for this. And then all of a sudden I was like, I've got something here. And that is how Applause for Thought kind of grew. So it's been a very challenging two years of getting to grips with registering as a community interest company, hiring people, you know, pay all, all the things. Um, it's been a massive, massive learning curve. So I'm, I'm constantly surprised by how Applause for Thought grows and uh, scared and excited in equal measure. But obviously people in the industry see the need for it and you've really um, touched, a, I don't know if touched nerves is the right expression, but they, they totally can see where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I think we've always had that, that feedback um, that there's just people feel very, very seen by applause for thought. And I think that that does stem from the fact that I have a really extensive background in, in theatre um, and so I'm, it's not just a kind of generic mental health company that's coming in and, and supporting people. Everything that we do has the arts at the heart. So therefore the language that we use and the skills that we're teaching are directly applicable to our industry. And so I, I think that's what has made us kind of unique. Um, that as well that I have found the most incredible team. I'm, I'm so blessed. And so everyone that works with and for Applause for Thought in my opinion, are just wonderful humans. And I think that that goes a really, really long way. So what are you planning next? I guess if you've achieved this in three years, what, where do you see Applause for Thought in, say, another few years' time? Oh, wow. So I think that we've, we've actually just this morning put an ad out for our first actual employee we work with. We have a core team, but they're all with us on a freelance basis. And so that's a really exciting step for us. I think that these next few years are about expansion and growth. Um, it's a very difficult line as a community interest company when we're not for profit. So it's very, very difficult to upscale in the same way that other companies can do because we just don't have the cash flow as, as other companies. So um, in these next three years, it's to really, really grow the company so that we can continue to do the work that we do on, on a larger scale work with more productions, campaign with our unions for better working conditions. Um, and we've trained about 1,150 uh, people in their mental health certificates. So continue to double, triple that number and get everyone this, uh, this education. And then what about you personally? What are your plans? Because you obviously have wear these two hats. You've got your sort of professional West End work and then you've got the applause for thought. How do you juggle that? Um, with, with difficulty. <laughs> I always like to be transparent in these because I think a lot of people from the outside can go, oh my goodness, that person has it all and they're never burnt out and they can just go and pop and do a West End contract and then run a company. That I think we all know that the realities are obviously very, very different. Um, and I think that it's, it's something that will be ever-changing and I think that I've got a really good grasp on where I need to be and when, you know, I've just finished a contract. So therefore these next three months, there, there's no performing going on for sure. Um, and my, my heart and my soul and my mind is, is all with applause for thought. And I think that those jobs will become less frequent. I'm only going to take creative jobs if they're short, if they're nourishing, if um, I feel that I'm able to do both because applause for thought has to be my number one priority moving forward. Um, and I feel happy and ready for that, for that to be the case.
Well, listen, Rafaela, it's been such a joy to talk to you. If people want to learn more about you or get in touch with Applause for Thought and look at some of the courses you offer, how can they do that? Sure. So the, the, the easiest way is just to head to our website, which is uh, www.applauseforthought.com or .co.uk. Um, and it'll have links to our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and yeah, that's how you get in touch with us. Well, listen, thank you so much. I've so enjoyed talking to you. And I hope that um, the next few years are, are just as successful as the last couple have been. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Looking to expand your vocal knowledge and add to your teacher toolbox? Then you're in the right place. BAST are here to guide you with our membership, a growing virtual library packed with educational videos spanning a whole host of voice teacher topics. It's just £1 for the first two weeks and £6 each month after that. Now that's what I call a bargain. To join, just head to our website, www.basttraining.com.